Our reading this morning comes from the book of Psalms 121. You will be reading from the new, uh, the NLT, the New Living Translation. I will be reading from the NRSV. Now, this little caption from the book of Psalms is a song that we can sing. It is sung by, or was sung by pilgrims when they were traveling to Jerusalem to go for festivities of the year. Now, the song of uh, this song here by the psalmist is for people who are traveling. And I wonder whether we think of ourselves as travelers or think of ourselves as having arrived. Listen to the word of the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel with, will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. I think of this song and the art that we have in front of our bulletins in the same way. It is either by divine design or by sheer coincidence because there is a direct connection with my short message today. I am honored to be here with you today and to announce to you that we are all pilgrims. We are on a pilgrim. We are either pilgrims in one of the two ways, or in fact, both. First, as generations of pilgrims who came here many, many years ago, and some who came not too long ago. Second, we are pilgrims in this life, and God is asking and calling us to live a life that imitates God's life. Neither one of us is greater or lesser in the kingdom of God. The good news is that the word pilgrim or a traveler connects all of us and evens the playing field in God's kingdom. The psalmist thinks of all of us as travelers. I have been privileged to travel alongside new pilgrims whose journeys have been crowded by dangers but also crowned with the delight in their home of refuge in this country. When the towers of the cities come in sight, the dangers and the trials of the long winding journeys are soon forgotten. But new dangers emerge. The welcome turns lukewarm as they seek integration, companionship, and relationships. The artwork that you see in front of the bulletins depicts one who is seeking God 
one who is seeking a hand, if you look carefully at that artwork, help can only occur when there is a connection, a connection between person and another person. Beyond that, coming to worship like we have brings us closer to connecting with God, but we never connect. We never fully connect with God until we connect with that other person. And now, I have a presentation just to see those who we have tried to help. Lily is from Myanmar, the former Burma. Lily has been here probably a year now, and she is driving or trying to survive and has been held with one hand trying to learn the English language in America. Next. Danny. Danny is a pilgrim. I'm using the word pilgrim here from Eritrea, where there have been a lot of issues. He is also learning the English language and trying to do computer work. John Boom. John Boom is from the Republic of Central Africa, where he has been speaking just French. He is learning English in order to be able to work as well. Harun is from Sudan. He is a mechanic. He would like to open a shop in auto mechanics somewhere within the United States and especially here in Georgia. He is also training himself to learn English so that he can also be able to thrive. Gabriel would like to go into ministry. Gabriel has had some good English skills and he is working extremely hard. He's hardly been here for a year but he is already beginning to go into ministry one way or the other. Sophia is from Ethiopia. You have heard stories about Ethiopia, and she is also a mother, and she is also trying very, very hard in order to feed his family and also thrive in the United States. Ramji is from Nepal. You have heard stories about Nepal and the earthquakes that happened he has IT knowledge. He has learned quite a bit of English now. He has driven trucks around the United States. He's been here for probably about a year. And he's also um, working very, very hard in order to thrive. The reason I'm saying all these things is to show that contrary to what you hear, there are real people who, if you can connect with them, you will get a better understanding of what God-like life looks like. Thank you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto Listen to and for the word of the Lord, 
as I read out of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Now, Ephesians, Paul is writing uh, uh, to the Ephesians, obviously to the people in Ephesus, but this chapter 1 um, has been very controversial for theologians and for even some uh, people in ministry because it is one of the longest sentences in the Bible. It almost takes the entire chapter. So, you got to learn to breathe with this chapter 1, but we're only going to tackle this first two, or this 18 and 19 verse, because God has already, I mean, Paul has already been talking about how the blessing before the foundation of the earth was given to the believers, how they are saved before the foundation of the world. That's there. He's talking about the concept of predestination. He's talking about the concept of salvation through grace alone without any works. He is talking about God's action in humans' lives and humans' responses to God's action in human life. And these two verses kind of capture the essence. It's kind of the apex of, of, of the argument because it moves up to these two verses and then it winds down after these two verses. But it repeats itself that when God saved us, God did not save us to just save us from a fiery inferno. It is not fire insurance that God gives us. It is a new life. So listen carefully to the word of the Lord as it is found in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand, this is the key, that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. What? That's not what it says there. What is it, Rob? Believe Him. Oh, my dear sisters, there's a big difference between believing in God and believing God. Uh, do we get it here? So this is what, you know, we can just get so easily confused in that believing in Him, because that's what we read a lot, but no, it says believe Him. Also, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. That is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Leading causes for living, a God-powered life, a God-given source, and a meaningful reason for existence. You see, it is interesting that we can go ahead and consider the whole idea of life or existence. And I want to compare both of them because God is calling us to life. God this morning is asking you to look Make an assessment. What is it that I'm about? What is it that I'm doing here in this earth at this time? Am I living or am I merely existing? And God is telling us, choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Choose life. How does that look like? What does that look like? What is the difference between existence and life? Let's begin there. 
Existence, as I would describe it, is, is as the routine, as the normal patterns and cycles of a living organism. Like we're now experiencing the patterns of the beginning of fall. Just yesterday morning was the first knock on the door. The, hey, I'm coming. Right? When we feel that nice, cool breeze in the morning, we begin to see fall. Actually, somebody from Georgia told me, very much misinformed, that the trees don't begin to change unless there's a cold spell. No. It hasn't been cold and they're changing. There's a DNA in those trees that tells them that the clock is changing, though the temperatures don't say it. But you see, there is a difference between the natural existence of things versus the life-giving power of God. Animals have their existence. My little Daisy, who's my love and my little companion at home, she wakes up every morning at the same time. And what does she want me to do? Take her where? Because she needs to do her pipicaca. Okay? What? Animals do that. Okay. So that's existence versus living. There is a better way to life. There is a better way of dealing with this mere existence. There is a better way to life. Do you get it? There is something else. Do you think there's something else than just getting up in the morning, making that cup of coffee, and going out to try to survive it? Is that, that got to be something different to it, or is it just myself? Well, the difference is basically the existence is limited to the senses, it is limited to the surroundings, and, it, and the predators are bullies around it. We're limited. Mere existence is the idea of working from 9 to 5, the blows, the need for spicing things up in all of our sorts of lives, because there is nothing that makes sense, and there is just no salt in our life, no seasoning, no gusto, no salsa. If I were in the island, it would say, yeah, no salsa. So mere watching the sun up and the sun setting, a selfish, self-centered, and self-satisfying tendencies, is that what life is all about? In contrast, Jesus talks about the divine life versus the natural life. I, I, I kind of toned this down because there was a great Scottish theologian who in the 1790s wrote a whole letter about this, and I was listening to it. Not him, but somebody reading it <laughs> would be amazing. Uh, and, and, and he talks about the animal existence. That the animal existence does drive us to, to fulfill our needs of shelter, of home, of even belonging and sense of love, of protection. But then he talks about that there is something that Christianity brings about that is just not only the natural existence or what, uh, or, or what Patrick Hogan called the animal existence. He calls it the divine existence or the divine life, a life that is given to us because we lost it perhaps in, the, in Eden and now in Christ we gain it again. Life as God intended it to be. Life as God planned it to be. For Jesus, Jesus contrasted in this manner. If you cling to your present life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for me, ooh, you will gain it. Another uh, uh, similar verse, uh, that's in Matthew, Luke describes it this way. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
If the foundation of the natural life is selfishness, the foundation of the divine life is love. And it branches out. And it branches out to love of God, to love of ourselves, but above and beyond to love of others. That is the difference. As we heard today, a God-like life takes risks. Like working with people who don't speak your own language. Some do, some don't. Working with people who are in a traumatic state of shock. And then our government gives them three months to start running and do everything like the way we do here. Yeah, right. But it is that connection. It is that ability to seek that connection between us and others that makes our existence into life. A life of joy. A life of power and faith in Christ. A life that you don't have to settle for the way things are. You can seek change for the things they are. It is a life for others. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others. It is a life of commitment. Jesus took upon himself the whole weight of our sin and gave his life for all of us. It is a life of abundance. And abundance does not mean financial abundance. does not mean getting the bling, getting the nails, getting all that fun stuff. It is a life of abundance in faith, a life of abundance in sacrifice, a life of abundance in adventure, a life of abundance in the life of mystery of the Spirit that satisfy the soul, a life of giving, not hoarding, a life of creating solutions, not creating problems, a life where creativity and innovation can flow out of the freedom because God has been graceful to us and God has been faithful to us. Thus, I'm summarizing that a God-given, a God-like life is a life of worship, like we were talking last week. It is a life where we choose to clothe ourselves with love. It is a life where we die to self-tendencies. It is a life where we change our thinking, requires rediscovering our thinking patterns that are negative and self-destructive, and rebuild healthier life, God-like patterns of thinking. I am not guilty because I am forgiven in Christ. I am not alone because I belong to the family of Christ. My thinking can change from I am worthless to the fact that I am priceless before God, that I am powerless, and but the Scripture says that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I am not one that's away, but I am one that belongs. I'm not lost, but I am found. I'm not blind, but I can see. I'm not stuck. I am free from aimless wandering to being called for a purpose. That is the life that God wants for us. So what is this God-like life like? How does it look like? You know, it looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus because Jesus is the light. And he says that we are the light of the world. So in him was life, and that life was the light of man. It doesn't say in him was existence. Oh, so what? There is something different to the quality of life. And that quality of life is distinct because of the power that God gives us. And this is precisely the message of Paul. Paul is saying that you may understand. He says, has two prayers, that you may understand the hope you've been called to, number one, and number two, that you will understand the incredible power you guys have. 
You get it? And then he says, he's the same power that rose Christ from the dead. It is a life that is for others. It is a life that is given to others and for others. And the money that we make is for ourselves and our children, part of it. But God would like it to be for others. The money that we collect here in this congregation, it supplies the needs of the building and the institution, yes. But it's also geared towards ministry of others, mostly. There are elders here who would like to see 50% of our budget in ministry. Why wouldn't that be amazing? Right, Pat? At least 50%. Memorial Presbyterian has 60% of their budget to mission. But, of course, they have three of the professional sports owners in their congregation of the city. Pray for those. The park is moving nearby. Why can't they be at that hope? So, my dear sister, my dear brother, we're invited to the table to experience that unity, that oneness that God has brought us together of a God life like. It is the life of God in us. And this ritual that we practice of communion, it is a reminder that we are Christ's, that we belong to Christ, that Christ has called us to the table, and there is always room for one more at the table. So this morning, think about it. Is it just mere existence or is it life? 